For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Oh, God. Unleash the power of our Lord Jesus Christ at the cross today, right now, please. We humbly pray. Amen. I heard someone make a point once, and I've never been able to forget it. And I'm hoping, hoping that you won't be either, because I believe the point is right. The late John R.W. Stott once observed with this prescient piece of advice, never forget the other person's conscience is on your side. When you're wanting to share Jesus with somebody, never forget. Let me put that on the screen, because I need you to just brood over this for a moment or two. Never forget the other person's conscience is already on your side. What's he talking about? He's saying when you're, when, when you're wanting to share Jesus with somebody, it could be a, be a buddy of yours, a, a um, colleague at work, a neighbor, doesn't matter. Somebody who doesn't believe in God. Oh, no God. There is no Christ. There is no faith. There's nothing metaphysical at all. When you're dealing with somebody like that, always remember That person has a conscience that is already tilted to God. You say, can you prove it? I can't. Garden of Eden. God's standing there with Lucifer, the serpent. By the way, that was a creepy children's story. I mean, (laughs) I saw it first service, and I leaned over to Pastor Lindsay, and I said, the snake is going to crawl out of that bag. You watch. It's a powerful story. Thank you, Phil and Ms. Newkirk. So God's standing in the Garden of Eden. He has Lucifer, the fallen rebel. He has the two fallen now, Adam and Eve, parents of the human race. And he speaks words you have heard before. The words go like this. I am going to place enmity between you, snake, between you and the offspring, the children of this woman. In other words... They may be, they will be born with an internal tilt towards me. Because if they aren't, you'll kill them all. I know you. In that conscience, I will embed within their minds. I'm going to shine my light upon it. They don't have to accept it. They will know it, though. And if they follow that light, it will lead them to me. Never forget the other man's conscience, the other woman's conscience is always on your side. So here I would agree with Gregory Boyd. I thought he makes a great point here. Our insatiable hunger for a depth of life, and by the way, this is capital L life. This is life at its max. This is, this is Maslow's top of the, the, uh, the pyramid of, of, of human needs, self-actualization. When I become, this is my dream to become everything I've been destined to become. You have it, I have it. 
our insatiable hunger for a depth of life that only God can give is a sort of built-in homing device intended to lead us to him. Have you ever heard of homing pigeons? Of course you have. Amazing creatures. Do you know that they can take a homing pigeon? Get this. 1,100 miles away from its roost. They'll throw it in the air, flap, 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 60 miles an hour. It will return to its roost. Scientists are calling it the magnetoreception. Inside, they can sense a magnetic field. That's what, that's what Boyd's talking about. Our insatiable hunger for a depth of life that only God can give is a sort of built-in homing device intended to lead us to him. The Trinity is our home, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we are never fully satisfied or at peace until we rest in him. End quote. Wow. Every human being comes into this life hankering, hungering for the capital L life. It's been embedded in us. Somebody once said that we are all born with a God-shaped vacuum in our hearts. My little granddaughter, I haven't talked about her in a while, my little granddaughter was born two and a half weeks ago. She's doing fine. Thanks for asking. Do you know that when little, little Lily Elizabeth was born, she was born with a God-shaped vacuum inside her heart? We all are. In fact, the ancient church father Augustine, or Augustine as they, some are saying now, these are his words, our hearts are restless till they find rest in you, O God. We are born with that homing device. We have this, this insatiable hunger and thirst for what only God can give. I'll put enmity between you and her kids. Never forget the other woman's conscience is always, already on your side. And that is precisely what the brilliant, young, intellectual rabbi, Jew, named Saul, discovered. This young hater of Jesus of Nazareth it was vowed to crush Kill it, strangle it in the cradle, this infant movement following this Jesus of Nazareth, this young rabbi personally ordering the execution of men, women, and children to stamp out Christianity until that fateful day on the Damascus Road, and we've already lived that moment, haven't we, when in an explosion of blinding light. The risen, living Christ appears to him. And Paul, in one of his testimonies, twice he tells the story, once it's told historically. In one of those tellings, he said, I cried out, what do you want, Lord? You know, I have a feeling that that awful moment, I'm talking about the awful moment when Paul stood there, Saul, the young Saul. He had orchestrated this execution as he stands there watching also a young intellectual brilliant mind who believes Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah, a guy named Stephen, as he watches Stephen expire in front of his eyes. That awful moment, I predict, because of the inner tilt toward Jesus Christ, that, that awful moment never left him. It haunted him. 
And the more zeal he exercises to stamp this movement out, the stronger grows the, the gnawing suspicion. Maybe Stephen was right. And it killed an innocent man. And people that are dead. Such is the nature of this homing device conscience that is divinely tilted toward the truth as it is in Jesus Christ. What is the truth as it is in Jesus Christ? Open your Bible with me now to where I read just a moment ago. 1 Corinthians. Find 1 Corinthians in your Bible. You've got your Bible with you, and I'm glad you do. You have a device that has 1 Corinthians on it, and I'm glad you do. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm going to begin in verse 17. I'm in the New International Version, all right? Paul is writing here to that church planted by this intrepid warrior in this pagan citadel called Corinth. He's writing to the believers there. All right. Verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Drop down now to verse 22. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. How bizarre. How scandalous was this mess message of a crucified Messiah King? N.T. Wright himself, a very bright mind, in his book, Paul, A Biography. These are his words. He says, let's talk about the Jews first. Every time Paul came into a new town or city and opened his mouth, he knew perfectly well that what he was saying would make no sense. As with Jesus himself, the kind of signs that were on offer were not the sort of thing that the Jewish world was wanting or expecting. A crucified Messiah was a contradiction of terms. Our hope for king and Messiah ends up on a Roman cross. You are out of your mind, sir. It isn't much better in the evangelical world in America today at least here in America. So confused have evangelicals become in having to choose between Caesar and Christ that the Faustian bargain to have the best of politics and the best of religion has ended up with some kind of gross hybrid of theology and ethics. Do you know what Paul discovered? Listen carefully, because it's tr it will become true again here. Paul discovered that the most vociferous and dangerous opposition that came to him were from the people of his own faith. I want you to remember that. The people of your own faith can end up being your most violent opposition. Oh. So that's how it is with the Jews with this message. I wonder how it is with the non-Jews. As for the non-Jewish world, well, the suggestion that a Jew might be the new Lord over all other lords was bad enough. But a crucified man? you got to be kidding me. Everybody knew that was the most shameful and horrible death imaginable. How could such a person be hailed as Kyrios? That's the Greek title for Lord. 
And if the answer was, as it would be for Paul, that God had raised this man from the dead, that would merely convince his hearers that he was indeed out of his mind. A Roman governor would accuse him of that later on, but Paul must have been quite used to people saying it." End quote. How did Paul put it here in this letter to the infant church in Corinth? Our message of the cross. Uh, it's a stumbling block to Jews, and it's foolishness to Gentiles. So what kept Paul going? Here's what kept him going. Listen. His belief that the conscience of the other man was on his side. That's what fueled him. His belief that deep within the human heart there was a longing for something, for someone to make sense out of this world of lunacy, someone or something to deliver us from the dark, bleak future of annihilation or non-existence. There's something in the human breast that refuses to reject the notion. And that's why Paul kept playing to this homing device, the other person's conscience that was on his side, deep in the heart of the listener. Whether, by the way, he's addressing a crowd. Oh, he'll do it in a crowd. I want you to watch this. He's in Athens, the citadel of the intelligentsia of the Roman Empire. And they heard him. And they say, yo, yo, you stranger, you, you, you stand up here in front of us. We're going to check you out. And so Paul, watch this. This is Acts 17, verse 23. He's talking now to this highfalutin group. For as I walked around your city, and I looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. Bingo! There is something deep inside these intellectuals that Paul immediately harnesses. Aha! You're not quite sure, are you, what to believe, hoping against hope that you might satisfy your deepest longing that heretofore has remained unfulfilled, and so you have an unknown God. Well, I am here to tell you who that God is. He's playing to the homing device in the most brilliant minds in the Roman Empire. Beautiful. Smart. Yeah. The other man's conscience, Paul knew, was on his side. And by the way, it can be even a one-on-one. -on -one. Watch what he does in his defense before King Agrippa, half-Jew King Agrippa. First, he tells his testimony. And by the way, when you're wanting to share Jesus with people, start with your testimony. People love a story. Tell them what's happened to you and the difference it makes in your life. Paul has told the story, and now here in Acts 26, he's talking to the king, but God has helped me to this very day. So I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer and, as the first to rise from the dead, would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. And at this point, the Roman governor Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You are out of your mind, Paul, he shouted. Your great learning is driving you insane. I love this exchange. I, excuse me, I am not insane, most excellent Festus, Paul replies. What I am saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things. We're going for the homing device now. The king is familiar with these things, and I can speak freely to him. 
I'm convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? Don't wait for an answer. I know you do. Then Agrippa said to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Ding! He's hit the homing device. It's working. Paul replied, short time or long, I pray to God that not only you but all who are listening to me today may become what I am except for these chains. My. Paul knows the other man's conscience is already on his side. And Paul also knows the great truth of Oswald Chambers' single line. There is only one being who can satisfy the last aching abyss of the human heart, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. There is only one being in the universe who can satisfy the aching in the the abyss of your mind and your heart and your spirit, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. For that reason, when Paul came trudging into Corinth for the first time, his strategy to reach that pagan bastion of immorality was very clear. It had worked with the Athenian intellectuals. It had taken hold in Corinth. And Paul determines from henceforth, this will be my strategy. I want you to drop down to chapter 2 here. So we're in chapter 1. You've got to see this. This is powerful. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 1, and so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. No, no, no. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I knew the homing device was in every man, woman, and child that I would address. And I would go to that homing device, the last aching abyss in that heart, and tell the truth about Jesus. I've determined to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Why? Because there's only one being in the universe that can satisfy the last aching abyss in the human heart, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Deep within the secular heart of our pagan culture right now, today, that is still the gospel truth. In fact, I'm going to read something to you. My uh, producer today for PowerPoint is a young student here at Andes University. He's a physics major. His name is Alex Navarro. So Alex, after we went through this material yesterday, said, hey, I got to tell you about a song. It's written by a guy that uh, he's a Christian. He writes music for non-Christians. The song is called Stupid Deep. The name of the guy is John Bellion. So we found it on YouTube. Don't look it up now. The acoustical version, by the way. I don't know what the other one is, but this this one will will, will take your soul into flight. I'm going to read the words to you. Here they are. What if who I hoped to be was always me? And the love I fought to feel was always free. 
What if all the things I've done were just attempts at earning love? Because the hole inside my heart is stupid deep. It's stupid deep. What if where I've tried to go was always here? And the path I tried to cut was always clear. Why has life become a plan to put some money in my hand when the love I really need is stupid cheap? Stupid cheap. A young man in America crying out, why am I trying to feel the emptiness in my heart when there is someone else offering to fill it free? Stupid cheap. Stupid deep. Jesus is still our only hope. Only Jesus Christ and him crucified can satisfy the last aching abyss in our hearts. For I have determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And on why taps into that power that's in Calvary and in the soul of Paul. From sketches from the life of Paul, these words, Paul clung to the cross of Christ as the only guarantee of success. The love of Christ was like the omnipotent, undying motive which upheld him in his conflicts with self. Do you have conflicts with self? Are you kidding? You can't be, you can't be, you're trying to fool me? Every day, all day long, all day long. The love of Christ was the omnipotent, undying motive which upheld him in his conflicts with self and the power of Satan in his struggles with spiritual wickedness in high places, in his lifelong labors. As Paul pressed forward against the unfriendliness of the world and the burden of his own infirmities. Wow. For I have determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Because only Jesus Christ and him crucified can possibly satisfy the last aching abyss in humanity's heart today in America, across the sea, anywhere on this planet. Only one being can touch and heal that aching abyss. Social media binging cannot satiate that longing. Not all the friends, not all the followers in the world can fulfill your thirsting for love, for attention, for compassion, for companionship. But Jesus Christ and him crucified can do that. He can do that, I promise you. And you don't have to be lonely any longer. Self-medication through alcohol or prescription medications cannot satisfy the deep inner longing for healing, for help, for, for a hand that will reach out to guide you through the darkness you're going through right now. But Jesus Christ and him crucified, he can do it. He can be what your heart is longing for. Unbridled sex with all its hypnotic addictions and its self-deceiving pledges cannot quench the last ache in the abyss of your soul. It can't. You'll always come up wanting for more. But Jesus Christ and him crucified, he can do it. He, you don't have to be addicted any longer. Oh, I tell you what, I am, I am so grateful. And I hope we'll fill this sanctuary, for the darkness will not overcome. 
We have filled this sanctuary two weeks from last night. We'll fill it right here. Why? Because everything that the human heart is longing for, every thirst, every hunger is going to be addressed by a young preacher named Richie Halverson. And I'm so excited that he's coming. He's going to engage us where we need the engagement the most. This campus needs the darkness will not overcome. This state needs the darkness will not overcome. This nation needs the darkness will not overcome. But you won't get it on live stream. We will not live stream this. Nope. You will be here if you want it. That's it. There is no live stream. I hope we fill this sanctuary with the truth about this Jesus who is the only one that can heal and satisfy this aching abyss deep within me. Whatever it is, my friend, that you are turning to for relief, if it's not Jesus, you haven't found it yet. Climbing the corporate ladder, are you? Trust me, when you get to the top, it'll be just as empty as it is down here. You haven't found it yet. Going to be a hero jock on the court, on the football field? Trust me, when you become that hero, and I hope you do, you'll still be as empty as you are today. You cannot feel that aching abyss in your heart, but Jesus Christ and Him crucified can fill it. And if you give your life to Jesus, if you will come to the Savior, you will never be the same again. You got to be here. The darkness will not overcome. You need to start praying, by the way. Start praying that God will do an unusual work in our midst. And this will become a healing place for all who enter night after night. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. Jesus who hung on the cross for you and me. Bled to death on the cross for you and me. Our sins crush his life only Jesus. Paul will never be the same when he discovered that Jesus is no fable. It's no fairy tale. Jesus is the real deal. And he can save you like he saved me. The Jesus who appears at this supper table right now in two moments the Jesus who appears at this supper table right now is the Jesus through the, bro- through, the, through the bread and the cup that symbolizes his blood, is the Jesus who will activate those symbols, and inside of us, they become divine power unleashed. We're already tilting toward him. Stay and let him take you. Let him have you. Only Jesus and him crucified. Only Jesus can fill the last aching abyss in my heart and in your heart, and he's going to do it right now.